to start here, and then we will we'll go from there. And uh, if you can, quote it with me. It makes it just that much more exciting. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. Don't cheat and read it behind me. You've got to do it from your memory. And this verse 3 is where we're keying in on. He restoreth my soul. Say that again. He restoreth my soul. Continuing, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. That is a beautiful, not, not only is it a, a, a good poetic reading in verse, but there are some incredible truths that are contained in there. And I have preached probably a couple times in the last few years. I have preached on Psalms 23. When you begin to look into it, Psalms 23, especially knowing that the one who penned that psalm was himself a shepherd. There are some truths in that, some great truths. And I'm not going to re-preach that, but I, I liked what David said, he restoreth my soul. Uh, again, just kind of touching base from, from last Wednesday, I kind of kicked off a little series I wanted to do. There are three words that deal with our salvation and, and deals with the life that you and I have after we have been saved. Let me, uh, I, I, I apologize and if somebody's watching and, and going to pick it up and, and they say, hey, you stole my sermon or you stole my thought, I, I apologize. Somewhere a pastor had put on Facebook this yesterday or the day before, but they were talking about, oh, I know, it's because Father's Day, a lot of, a lot of people uh, tended to gravitate towards the story of Moses and the Passover because it, it fell the lot of the father to take and kill the lamb and paint the, 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 the blood of that lamb on the doorposts. And, and somebody made this, and again, I don't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit and I apologize, but someone made this, this statement. They said, when was the blood applied? And if you remember in your Bible, they, they had very specific instructions. In fact, they had three places they were to put the blood. They were to put it on the left doorpost, they were to put it on the top of the door, or, you know, the door frame, and they were put it to put it on the right doorpost. And if someone would have just painted it on the left doorpost, it would not have sufficed. I'm convinced when God tells us to do something, we ought to do it. Amen? And so someone made the, the, the correlation, said, when is our salvation complete? Is it when we repent? Yes. Is it when we are baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins? Yes. Is it when you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of the infilling or the speaking in other tongues? Yes. Your salvation is complete when the blood has been applied on the entire life. There's something about that. And I am so privileged. I, I, the, the longer I'm alive, the more precious my salvation becomes to me. When I was a kid 
And they started singing, he brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. I like that song and I could sing it. But when you're seven years old, it don't mean near as much as when you're 37 years old. And to realize the depth, to realize the length that God went for me. Last week, we introduced the word redeem. What does it mean in, in, in context of your and my salvation? What does it mean that I have been redeemed? And if you missed it, go to the website. You can find it. We, we have them archived on our app. We have them archived on our website. You can listen to it. You can watch it. You need to go back and familiarize yourself with what it means for you and I to be redeemed. The second word, and it's the word we're going to focus on tonight, is the word restore. Now some would say, oh, that means the same thing. And, and, and I'm okay if they overlap a little bit, but... I think we need to realize exactly what Jesus has done in the redemption of our soul and in the restoration of our soul. And then uh, hopefully next week, if the Lord tarries and everything works, I'm going to preach on the resurrect part of my soul. And uh, we're going to go there. But let's focus on that word restore. What does it mean? As I did last week, let's go to the definition uh, and, and there are multiple definitions, but I'm going to just pick and choose some that I think uh, when I say these definitions, you ought to be able to instantly apply them to your own life and go, uh-huh, that makes sense. So the first uh, definition of restore is to bring back into existence or use or the like to reestablish. And the, the illustration they have is to restore order. How many of you know that sin is the, act, is the opposite of order? Sin is chaos. Sin is, is, is just things spiraling out of control. But somewhere in your life, I hope, somewhere in your life, Jesus came in and restored order, brought things back into existence. The second thing, and this would probably be one where we spend a little bit more time, it's to bring back to a former or original or normal condition. You can restore a statue. You can restore a painting. Uh, some of you, you like old cars and you restore old cars. You restore old things. Another definition is to be put back into the former place or former position. Uh, a king could be restored to his throne or something along those lines. And uh, I'm, I'm 37 this year. I'll turn 38. And while that may be young for some, uh, the, the kind of longer I live, the more I realize I'm no longer the young person. I'm, I'm in that middle age bracket, and that's a little uh, uh, sad for me. But in, in many instances, I feel like an old soul. Some of it is because of how this world is evolving and how fast things are happening. Um, in, in my lifetime... I have had, well, when I say I, I'm talking about my parents as well. We have had a car that had an 8-track tape in it. I've had a truck. My truck still has a tape player in it. Uh, I think it was this year. I'm almost positive this year. Zoe got in my truck and asked me what that was, and I had to explain what a cassette tape was because I don't know that she's ever heard a cassette tape. Uh, I remember 
when a couple years ago I got my record player that I have in my office and my kids when I brought it home and opened it up and played a record, they thought it was brand new technology. They were excited. They thought that was the coolest invention ever and kind of had to break it to them. It was invented back in the, you know, what, 30s or 40s, I think. Um, and until now we have... Uh, you know, we, we've gone from the from the, the, the record to the 8-track to the cassette to the CD uh, and, and then kind of bridging the medians to uh, VHS tapes to, to DVDs to Blu-ray until now we get our, our music streaming through the internet. In fact, the music is streamed at such a high quality, your, the ears that you possess can't even pull in all of the uh, sounds that, that they're able to stream right now. It just blows my mind. One of the areas that I've been closely connected to in my lifetime is that of personal computers. Anybody older than me, you know exactly where I'm coming from. But when I was born and the first part of my years growing up, I didn't know anybody that had a computer in their home. I remember, and I want to say I was around nine years old, I remember when my dad brought home an Apple IIe computer. Anybody remember an Apple IIe computer? All right. It was state of the art for probably a couple years. It was about as close to the holiest of holies as you could get. We were not allowed to touch it. We were not allowed to look at it. It probably cost thousands upon thousands of dollars for that crazy thing uh, back then. But uh, these kids, a lot of you kids, you've never even seen this, but uh, it didn't have a hard drive. It had two floppy disks. They were uh, about this big, and they were floppy. One disk drive, you had the program, and the other disk drive is what you, uh, uh, you, you saved stuff on. It did not have a color screen. In fact, all it had was, a gr at least the one we had, a green screen, and it had a green blinking square. And you could type, and sometimes as you typed, it couldn't keep up with you because you could type faster than it could think. I remember when my dad allowed me to play it, and I got to play Frogger. Life changed We quickly got out of that devilish Apple genre and got into Windows and PCs and we, we repented and, 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 and to this day I am stay true to that. My wife not so much. She's still an apostolic. But I, I, Eve, Eve ate that first apple and got us all in trouble so I can't, I can't do that. I, I got to stay with the PC. But in... Um, when, when I, in 1995, I started working in an office environment. I worked for the General Youth Division, and it gave me access to a computer. Back then, in 1995, we ran Windows 3.0, and it was amazing. We actually had color then. Finally, in August of 1995, Windows 95 came out, and there was some more upgrades there, and... Uh, then in 1998, they released Windows 98, and that was followed in 2000 with Windows ME. And with the advent of, and, and I believe I have this correct, I don't think it was 2000, I think it was, or I don't think it was the 98, I think it was with Windows ME, a groundbreaking feature that had never been seen in the personal computer world came out. It was that of system restore. 
You could, you could go to it, push a series of buttons or find that, and you could click on system restore, and it would allow the user of that computer to go back and undo the things that was causing that Windows operating system to malfunction or crash or not work. Maybe it was you had loaded a program that didn't was not compatible. Maybe you had accidentally erased a program and you needed it. You could go back and hit a system restore. It was amazing. They still have it on the Windows systems today, but it's not nearly used in this day and age of technology as it was there. That, that restoration, restoration is a beautiful thing. Uh... Y'all, mo- most people today working on computers will never understand what it means to stay up all night long typing a paper on, on Word all night long for hours and hours and then somehow it just disappear. Nowadays your computer saves every 3.2 nanoseconds and I can turn my computer off, put it under water and they'll still be able to recover it. But I've had days where I needed that restore button. A few years ago, there in a museum in Amsterdam, a man had rushed through and he reached a famous painting by Rembrandt entitled Night Watch. There that, that man with his knife repeatedly slashed that painting before they finally subdued him. A, a, just a short time later, maybe even in the same night or the same week, another man slipped into the St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash that Michelangelo's sculpture called the Piata. Those two works of art, hundreds of years old, had been severely damaged and, and, and perhaps some thought there's no hope. We're going to have to throw them away, put them back in a, in a vault, never to be seen again, but that's not what they do. There is an entire team of people that know what it means to restore. They painstakingly sewed the canvas of the painting back together and using the same kinds of paint and the same chemical makeup of the paint, they repainted parts that were missing until they say now you can go and as long as you can't see those stitches, you won't know that painting had ever been slashed. We were eating uh, yesterday at a restaurant, and they had TV going, and they were doing things about uh, some of the, the ruins there in Greece, and they were talking about how they're restoring those ruins in Greece where pieces of marble have fallen off. They take casts of the broken piece, and they go get the same kind of marble, and they literally uh, uh, take it until it will fit the piece that broke, and they'll put it up there. And now, if you go there, you'll find new pieces of marble uh, in some of those monuments. And they say, give it a few years, and it'll all look the same as it weathers. It's called restoration. Restoration, as I described, is not something that you see very often in the Old Testament. Let me give you some examples. There are many places in which God would forgive someone but very seldom, and I challenge you to look in your Bible, very seldom would God restore completely. Let me give you an example. Adam and Eve were forgiven, but they were kicked out of the garden never to return. They were not restored to that place. Moses was forgiven, but God said you cannot enter into the promised land. There was not a restoration there. David was forgiven, 
and, and even called a man after God's own heart. But even David was not allowed to build the temple. There was not that complete restoration. And, uh, but when we get to the New Testament, something begins to change. In the New Testament, we get God manifest in the flesh. God, who, who up until this point had had a distant relationship with humanity. And now uh, we, we get the Lord coming down, becoming like you and I, taking on the complete nature of humanity while holding on to the complete nature of the divinity. And Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, begins to unleash and unlock something that you and I have access to now that is restoration. For, for Adam and Eve who were not restored to the garden and Moses who could not go to the promised land, something different takes place after Calvary. Not only are sins forgiven, but now there is restoring. For example, in the Old Testament, Peter would have denied Christ. Peter would have been forgiven but Peter would not have been allowed to preach on the day of Pentecost if I look at the Old Testament. Peter would have fallen. I mean, I would say Peter did worse than what Moses did. And if Peter was in the Old Testament, he, he, he would have been forgiven, but kind of that's the end of that ministry. But instead, it's not even a year that passes. It's not even four months that passes. And the coward of Calvary is now standing out there in the upper room preaching what is arguably the most important message in the apostolic understanding. And that is when he looks at the people who say, we want to be saved, and he says, let me tell you what you need to be saved. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Peter experienced restoration Paul he, he horribly afflicted the, 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 those disciples of Jesus putting them in jail carrying letters that gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do but still he is forgiven and we're thankful for that but not only did Jesus forgive Paul but he also restored Paul and Paul becomes one of the most prolific writers and teachers of the new church I've preached this next statement in other messages, but, but I'm just firmly convinced this is why the devil fights so hard against the church. Because the devil doesn't understand why you and I can be forgiven and why you and I can be restored and he's doomed to a fiery hell. That's why he doesn't like you. That's why he does everything he can to keep you from church. That's why he does everything he can to get you your mind to where you get in arguments and conflict with God because he doesn't understand how in the world can God have grace and mercy on you. But Peter, Paul, Thomas, even the thief on the cross experienced this thing called restoration. The most beautiful portrait of restoration as it pertains to your salvation and mine is found in this parable of the prodigal son. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I know you know it, but just walk with me again. Luke chapter 15 verse 11 and through verse 32. I, I want to just take some time and show you maybe uh, a new angle or, or, or really let you see this parable in the lens of restoration. The Bible says, and this is Jesus talking, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. So the younger son said, I'm, I'm ready. Give me my inheritance. I know you haven't died yet, but give me what I'm supposed to be getting and uh, we'll be good. So the, the, the man did that. He divided unto his sons. He had divided unto them his living. It wasn't very long after that 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 youngest son took what he had, gathered all his clothes, and he took a journey to a far country. There, the Bible says, he wasted his, his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and that young man began to be in want. And he went and joined himself with the citizen of that country, and that, that man sent the young man to feed the pigs in his field. And the Bible says he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, because no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, look at your neighbor and says, you got to come to yourself. When he came to himself, this is what he said. He said, self, I look at the servants. How many hired servants of my father's have enough bread to eat and they even have enough to eat a midnight snack and here I am sitting in a pig pen perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the young man arose and came to his father. And he said unto him, or, or he rose and came to his father. And when the son was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father saw, or the, fa- the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven. Now this is so, so key, and, and you'll see this in a moment. Repentance. Uh, it kind of has two folds. You're first going to repent to the Lord, but you also need to make amends with those that you have affected with your sin. But he put it in the right perspective. I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in thy sight. I'm no more worried, worried, worthy to be called thy son. The father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his hand and a shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. It was a party going on. The elder son was in the field working and he hears the partying and he sees the dancing and the merriment and the music and he says to one of the servants, what does this mean? And they said, well, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf and they have received him safe and sound. The older son was angry. He wouldn't even go in. So his father had to come out and entreat him, beg him, plead with him. And in doing so, he answered, to said to his father, all of these years I've served you. All of these years I've never transgressed your commandment. All of these years I've done all of this. You've never killed the fatted calf for me. You've never thrown me a party. But as soon as your son comes home, the one that devoured thy living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And the father looks at him and says, Son, everything I have always had was yours. Anytime you wanted to, you could walk out there to the field, kill whatever cow and and steer you wanted to kill. You could have had every party you wanted to have because everything I have is yours. But it is absolutely important that we should be merry and glad because your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and was found. That story encompasses every element of restoration that we need to know. Number one, and I know you've heard me preach this, this is, this is just reminding you if, if I can. 
Number one, the fact that you are separated from the Father is your own fault. I have said this I don't know how many times. My wife and I and all of our children's uh, evangelism, we love to do the story of the prodigal son. And I can't tell you how many hundreds, maybe thousands of times, I have said this. The Bible says that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And the Bible doesn't lie. What that means is sin separates us. We're the ones that leave. We're the ones that remove ourselves from the presence of God. Why do I need to be restored? Because I have been lost. I have been broken. I have been out in, in, in those of you, I know Brother Neely, uh, some of you other guys, y'all do some old car restoration, and they have a, a, a thing in the, in the car restoration world. They'll call it a, a barn find or a, an old field. Somebody had an old car. And, and it broke down and they didn't want to fix it. So they stuck it in an old dusty barn or they put it out on the back 40 and, and the, the rain and the weather and the elements begin to hit it and it begins to rust. And then somebody that knows what they're looking for can take that old thing that's been forgotten, bring it back in and restore it until it's like the day it came off the showroom. When I separate myself because of sin from the Father, I become broken. It's, it's at that point that the, the, the world begins to wear on me and, and I'm tarnished and I'm dirty and I need to be restoration, I need to be restored. And the fact that I'm away from the Father is because of my own sin. Nobody else's fault. I want you to look at this very, very carefully. The Father didn't kick him out of the house. The boy left. Jesus doesn't kick anybody out. Our sin causes us to leave. The second thing that's important to know is that the father, his, his sole desire is for restoration and reconciliation. That, that statement there that says when the son was yet afar off, the father saw him coming and ran to meet him indicates that the father had been looking for him. Now the father didn't go pack it up and go to where the son is. We'll get to that a little bit later too. But he waited until that son said, I'm ready for a change of, of scenery. And when that young man began to walk back, there was a father that had been watching the whole time saying, is this the day he's coming home? The father longs, the father desires for restoration. The third point is this, the only way that restoration and reconciliation can happen is if you come to your senses and come back to the Father. I'm, 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 this is the end part of my message. I'm a, we'll get to that in a moment, the ending. But let me just remind you, there's a little bit too much of us, of us saying, Lord, come to me. And there needs to be a lot more of God, how in the world can I get to where you are? Yes, the Lord looks for you. Yes, the Lord reaches for you. Yes, the Lord woos you and, 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 and pulls your heart. But the only way that you can ever be restored is if you come to your senses and say, I am lost and I need to find my way back home. The fourth element of this is that the older son was jealous of that restoration. The older son said, I, I don't understand. 
here I, here I am doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why is it such a big deal that you get so excited that he came home? Why in the world should you ever do that? You should have just wrote him off and said he's lost and given him up for dead and just, you know, who cares? But can I just tell you, and I'm going I'm to say it for me, I'm going to say it behind the pulpit of this church, that the Lord, that the lighthouse, and that Pastor Buford I want you to know that restoration is always in order. You know the old saying, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? You don't just chalk them up and say they're gone? Restoration is always in order. And the fifth point of that is that the father restored that son to his place in the family. It was as if he had never left. Now, I don't know that he got more inheritance later on. There, there's a finite amount of money, and he's not going to, you know, perhaps get more. But he, he was in the same place he was when he left. He was in the family. He was restored to the benefits of being in a relationship with his father and with his family. David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba and all of that, chaotic scene played out. Nathan the prophet comes to him and, and gives him the, the, the punishment of God. That, that David, because of your sin, this child that has been born or, or that will be born of this, this adulterous relationship is going to die. And David begins to, to, to cry and begins to pray and the Psalms 51 is birthed. And I won't read it all but if you want to look at it and see it, you most certainly can. Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Do you catch that? How many times did he use that personal program, pr pronoun? It's my sin, my transgression, my failure, my faults. As a minister of the gospel for, for quite some time now, one thing that is lacking in this world is that true repentance that brings someone to call, fall at an altar and say, I've sinned. To lift up their hands and say, God, I failed you. Blot out my transgression. What David was acknowledging is, I'm broken, I'm unrestored, and I need a Savior. Verse 4, and, and we, we, we looked at this when we talked about the prodigal son. Verse 4 says, against thee, the only have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. You see, your sin is first against the Lord if you're out of sorts with God you're probably out of sorts in all the other relationships you have and you can't go fix the other relationships in your life if your relationship with the Lord has not yet been restored and so David knew if I'm ever going to have a relationship that blossoms with Bathsheba who I married if I'm ever going to have anything there I've got to first get right with you God restore me I was shaped in iniquity and sinned and my mother conceived me. But in verse 10, we begin to find that restoration. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Restore. God, I want to get back to that place I was. I want to get back to that place where I can be with you. The book of Joel uh, is, is referenced in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, Joel chapter 2. And again, not, not reading everything there, but Joel chapter 2 in verse 12. Therefore also, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and it repenteth him of the evil. And and basically what this the Lord is telling Israel, this is a time where Israel is about to experience the, the attack of the Assyrians and there's going to be some captivity involved. But Joel is telling them that the Lord is calling unto them, come to me. Come to your senses. Return unto me. I, I mentioned this a few moments ago, but Sister Buford and I, a couple days ago, we were uh, driving back from Terre Haute and, and we're in the car and we're listening to music and we're listening to songs that are being sung and we had this conversation and, and as we begin to talk we, we said that that if we're not careful too many of our songs we, we say things like rain on me, come down to me heaven on earth, fall on me, hold me now I, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with every one of those songs and the songs we sing and I think I can even back up those songs biblically. But we have to be careful that we don't put the impetus of the relationship that he has to come to where I am. We can't lose the feeling. We can't lose the fact that you and I need to get to where God is. Not come down to my level. Now he did that. He came down to my level when he became flesh and dwelt among us. But he did all of that so that I can get to where he is. I got to come to my senses and say I'm lost. I don't like the pig pen of this abyss where sin has left me. I need restoration. In verse uh in verse 18, it says that if you do all that, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and pity his people. Basically, the Lord will, will pity uh, this predicament that our sin has got us into. And the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you will be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you an approach among the heathen. And I will remove afar off of you the northern army. That's those Assyrians that are coming. And I'll drive him into a land barren and desolate, his face towards the east sea and his hinder part uh, toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he's done these great or these awful things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Don't be afraid, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. The tree will bear her fruit, the fig tree, and the vine will yield their strength. So be glad, children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. That means he's going to do more abundant. 
The floors are going to be full of wheat. The fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And he will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. That great army which I sent among you. Sent among you and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name uh, of the Lord your God. Now in all of that I want to show you one thing when it comes to this understanding of the word restoration. Notice that he says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten and the canker worm and the palm worm. Those were plagues that God sent the children of Israel because of their disobedience to the Lord. If you remember some of the, the promises that God made to the children of Israel with the, uh, there in, in, the, in the wilderness around Mount Sinai, what did he say? If you will serve me, if you will honor me, I will bless your land. That land that flows with milk and honey, if you'll serve me and do all that, I promise you I will make that continue. But if you don't serve me, remember he put them on each mountain. He said this is the mountain of blessing and this is the mountain of curses. And this is what's going to happen if you don't follow me. Well, Israel messed up. Israel left God. And now they were planting crops and the locusts came in and would eat them out of house and home and they wouldn't have any crop. A great famine would come. Caterpillars and canker worms and palmer worms, those are all destructive insects and, 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 and little things that would devastate a crop. But look at what he said. He said, I will restore unto you the years. I want you to listen to your pastor very carefully. In whatever time frame of your life you live for the devil and sin. Some of you did not get the Holy Ghost until you were well out of your teenage years and maybe your young adult years, you got the Holy Ghost later. And if you will, you sowed a lot of, of wild oats and, and you made a lot of bad decisions and you may even have to reap some of those bad decisions because God never told you He would restore what they ate. If, if you go rob a bank while you're living for the devil and then you get the Holy Ghost and you're saved, they may still find you and put you in jail because God said, I'm not going to write that penalty off. But this is what he said, and it, and it hit me a couple days ago. He said, I will restore the years that they stole, that consequence of sin. What I'd like to tell you today is that when you were saved, when salvation came, can I just tell you that the years that you live for the Lord in His salvation will not only be much better than the years you had without, but He'll restore those years and it will be as if you didn't lose some of those years. That's why I said the, the latter rain and the former rain together. What He's saying is when you live for God, when He saved you, He restored and your latter years will be far greater than your former years. I'm amazed at that. I've seen people make some horrid mistakes through sin. When, they, when, when God filled them with His Spirit and that restoration began, God restored and fixed some things that had happened in the bad years until marriages that were falling apart because of sin were restored and they went on to great things. Ministries that were devastated because of sin or that could have been, but they weren't because of sin. God says, I'm going to restore those years that the locust has eaten. That's restoration. 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 Chuck Swindoll in one of his books 
tells a story that he got from a man by the name of J. Stuart Holden. Holden tells of a of a, a Scottish Scottish mansion there that that was close to where he was, and the walls of that Scottish mansion were filled with sketches made by distinguished artists that would stay. It's said that it started when someone spilled a pitcher of, of that carbonated like soda water and spilled it on a freshly decorated wall and it left a stain that they couldn't get rid of. At that time, there was a man that was staying in that mansion by the name of Lord Landseer and he was a guest. And One day when the family was out doing what they did and just kind of having a good day, he stayed behind and he, he got to looking at that old ugly spot on the wall. And the more he stared at it, the more his mind began to kind of turn and grabbed a piece of charcoal and that ugly spot became the outline of a beautiful waterfall surrounded by trees and wildlife and he had turned that disfigured wall into what many say was one of his most successful depictions of Highland life. He took something ugly and he made something beautiful. Now, we're seeing this more today I want to take it a little bit further. Everybody wants pallets, and they go get these old ugly pallets of wood, and we they turn out other things, and they make stuff. But in, in the United States, there are millions of those pallets that are used every year. They they take incredible abuse from trucks and travels and forklifts, and while they're built to last, at some point they reach the end of their lifespan, and those pallets that carry the loads on the trucks or the, 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 the trains. Eventually they're cracked or smashed or loose or floppy, whatever. They can't really do anything with them and so they got to throw them away. Now people get them and they turn neat pieces of art out of them. But pallets are usually businesses, they got stacks of these broken pallets. What are we going to do with them? They end up paying somebody, sometimes up to $5 a pallet, to take the pallets away and dispose of them. Some of them, some of them are burned. Some of them chew them into wood chips, make make a, a mulch out of them. But in New York, there's a nonprofit company that's called Big Forest or Big City Forest. They found that a lot of these pallets they come from overseas, and these pallets are are made out of hardwoods that really are pretty valuable: rosewood, cherry, mahogany, maple, oak. So they begin to take these old broken down pallets and they would dis, uh, dismantle them and they would salvage the wood that they could use and they turn it into furniture, they turn it into flooring. If you take a pallet and you turn it into mulch, they say it's worth about $30 a ton. But if you take that pallet and you turn it into flooring, it's worth $1,200 a ton. And if they take that same pallet that could be turned into mulch for $30 a ton and you can make some furniture, the value goes up to $6,000 a ton. And if that kind of restoration can be done with worthless old splintered wood, how much more valuable is the restoration that God takes broken lives and puts them back together? He can take a life that seems worthless. He can take a life broken by the weight of sin, broken by the turmoils of this world, and he can transform them into something that is infinitely valuable to the kingdom. 
That's restoration. That's why the father would say of the prodigal, he once was lost, he once was dead, but now he's found, now he's alive. The dude that sat there in the mud of the pig pen was worthless, had nothing. No money, no hope, no life, no job. Take him out of the pig pen. You can take a Peter that's, that's denied Christ and in that sin-filled state, Peter is worthless. Not good for anything. In fact, in, in, the, in the eyes of the devil, in the eyes of the world, go do what Judas did. Go hang yourself. That's all you're good for. Jesus knew I can redeem, I can restore worthless, sinful people. And I can make him the greatest preacher that nation had ever seen. In the garden, and we'll get a little bit on this next week. But in the garden, you and I are, are better properly termed humanity. We were created to be immortal. And we were created to be incorruptible or at least we were created to not have corruption there was no guilt, there was no shame there was no sin in the garden created they could have eaten of that tree of life and lived forever but through our own will, through our own volition sin enters and willingly we sinned and came up short of the glory of God we were out of place would you stand with me but the beauty is that God wants to restore us to that incorruptible, immortal place. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, it's simple. 1 Corinthians 15. I say unto you, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither can corruption inherit incorruption. But I show you a mystery. Now, we're going to get on to the resurrection right now. But I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. In the moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. That's restoration. See, it, it becomes so much bigger, our salvation, when we see how far he went to redeem you and I and how much it takes to restore you and I. And one day, the dead will be resurrected. Would you lift your hands for a moment? Would you let the Word of God just kind of soak, just, just kind of pull right there in your consciousness and say, Lord, I, I need to hear from you right now. Lord, here I am. God, I, I know I've been saved and, and, and all of that. I, I've repented and I've been through the waters of baptism and I've spoken with other tongues at evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but sometimes I think I take it for granted. Oh, God, change me. Lord, restore me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Restore unto me the years that were lost by sin and by my own mistakes. And Lord, let me stand in your presence. In Jesus' name. Sweet the sound that saved. 